topic of consideration this morning is a doctrine called Perseverance of the Saints. Um, and I just thought I'd start with a testimony because Perseverance of the Saints is actually something that helped me out a lot when I was um, in college and just kind of coming to my own, um, I was working through my own beliefs, having come in a certain tradition of belief. And in that tradition, um, an understanding of God's electing grace, you might have heard the term um, eternal security, or you might have heard um, something called once saved, always saved. But these were sort of uh, paradigms that I grew up with where all the impetus was put on a moment of conversion, and if that moment was true, then regardless of what else happened in a Christian's life, they were saved. There was nothing else to it. And it seemed like in my upbringing, as I ran across people, there were either those who took that and used it as a means, or really as a rationale, to live like the world, because it didn't matter how they lived. They had once prayed a prayer or once been converted, and thus nothing else mattered. Their salvation was secure. But then, on the other hand, it seemed like there was another way in which, for many people, it put all the impetus on what they had done, and the question was, well, was it really genuine? I know if I'm saved, then I'm really saved, but did I really get saved? Was that moment really um, genuine? And so when I first encountered the teaching of Scripture that, yes, it is true, God saves eternally his people, and yet he uses means to do that, it was profoundly helpful because it reshifted all my focus not on something that I had done in the past, but on Christ and what he has done for me and what he has provided for me in that salvation. So very summaristically, in a summary fashion, the doctrine of perseverance of the saints is really nothing more than taking the reality that God has promised that all whom the Father has given me I have kept. No one can pluck them from my hand. Or we can think of Paul in Romans where he says, neither height nor depth nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor any other created thing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. These are rock-solid statements that God gives to his people that they might not doubt but have faith in him because he is able to save to the othermost. And we take that on one hand, and yet we take on the other hand the warnings of Scripture to press on, to persevere, to be faithful in the Lord, and we ask, how do these two things work together? And the way of putting those things together is to say that God has not only ordained that salvation be, but the means by which a saint perseveres in the faith. That is, when God saves someone, they will have faith in Christ, and that faith will continue to the end. And just as a caveat, that's not to say that the Christian life is not without its ups and downs, and even perhaps for a time, much rejection of Christ. My, my own brother right now, I think he'll be okay with me saying this, uh, for a time, grown up, grew up in the church, uh, was a deacon at the church that I grew up in, um, walked away, didn't believe in Christ at all. And he's now lately on a trajectory of rediscovering those things, finding out that the religions of the world have nothing to offer as Christianity does, and that he believes Christ is true. Um, and so you can, you can certainly pray for him as he works through that. I, I pray that he lands somewhere that is scripturally sound. But this is all to say, if God has been given a soul 
by his heavenly Father, and if he has died for that person's life, they will come to faith in him, and he will persevere them through many trials, through many temptations, and in the end, God will save them. And so as we live our lives, the focus, again, is not on was I saved in a particular moment, but the focus is on Christ. Has he died? Is the offer of the gospel free to all who place their trust in him? The answer is yes. Then there is no point in your life at which you cannot place your trust in Christ and believe. There is always grace to be found in Jesus and rest in him. Now, in order to kind of look at this doctrine, though, I was trying to find a passage that we could camp out in so that we weren't too scatterbrained this morning and going everywhere. And since the doctrine of perseverance of the saints first came to me through the book of Hebrews, I thought we would go there. Um, At this time in my life, I was wrestling with the idea of, of apostates, those who have left the faith. What does that mean? Does that mean that God somehow saved but then wasn't able to keep them or that maybe God's saving is conditional on um, how well we do in the faith and these sorts of questions. Um, So if you will, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. And at this point, the lesson is going to be a little bit informal. I'm going to read this section and then I want to just interact with you all on it and on this doctrine and try to figure out where Um, where we can learn together on this, because teaching this oftentimes has more to do with where the confusion lies than perhaps where um, the difficulty is with Scripture, because at least in my mind, I know not for um, many people, but for me, the, the tension in Scripture is quite clearly resolved when we just rest that Christ has saved, and yet there is a means by which he is bringing them through to that salvation. But let's read, and then we will, we will discuss. So Hebrews chapter 10, I'm going to start in verse, um, in verse 15. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds, Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. 
How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days. When after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live, but my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and persevere their souls. Sorry, persevere, preserve. The word is in there. Preserve their souls. So in this section, if you noticed, I'm not sure, perhaps you did, but there's a, the classic text about those who are fallen away and the fearful expectation of judgment that remains for those who have um, come into knowledge of God and have put on a show of belief and faith and then have gone and thrown it all away and rejected it. There is no more sacrifice for sins for them. They've trampled underfoot the Son of God. They've counted the blood of the covenant that they knew salvation was in. They've counted it a common thing. But this harsh statement is bookended on either side with certain words of confidence and assurance. If you noticed, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, or if you say, let us draw near with a true heart, full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. At the end of the section, recall the former days when you persevered through many struggles. Oh, at the end, I'm skipping around, those, you are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And what I'm trying to show is simply this, that the book of Hebrews gives us very specific warnings about turning away from the faith once we have been given the grace of God to see what is in Christ Jesus. And yet, on either end, this is not given so that we would twiddle our thumbs and wonder either about something that we have done or about the sufficiency of the work of Christ. The focus is always on remember the blood of Christ. Draw near to him with full confidence and full assurance because he is faithful. And even Paul's own confidence in these disciples is clear because of how they've persevered through many struggles and resting then on Christ he says you are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed but of those who have faith and persevere their preserve sorry their souls and so I think for me this would be probably the clearest place that I could go in one section to show the dual realities that God will keep his people and persevere them through many difficulties in spite of all that the world and the devil and the flesh can throw at them, he will preserve them to salvation. And yet still, there is need 
for faith throughout the Christian life. There is, this is not a doctrine of, uh, maybe you've heard the analogy, it's not a doctrine of inoculation where you get, you get a Jesus shot and then no matter what you do, you're immune to sin and the devil and you can live how you want and in the end you're going to glory. No Christian thinks about faith that way. The one whom the Spirit has truly worked in the heart says, Jesus, I need you. Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. Right? And so this is, um, this is perhaps an entryway into perseverance of the saints. One other place I'm going to point to, also in this same book, Book of Hebrews, great place to think about perseverance of the saints. This little phrase in chapter 3, um, starting in verse 12, It says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now, listen very closely to verse 14. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. What is that verse, last verse saying there? If you notice the tenses on that, it does not say, if we hold our confidence firm to the end, then we will come to share in Christ. He's not saying, if you do all of these things, then, then you have a claim to eternal life. He says, if you hold your original confidence firm to the end, it shows that you had already come to have a claim in Christ. That's the past tense here. You have come to share in Christ if you hold your original confidence firm to the end. But how is God going to do that? How is he going to hold weak sinners' consciences, I'm sorry, confidence firm to the end? Well, he's going to do it through these statements, verse 12 and verse 13. He's going to do it through brothers who are taking care, lest there be an evil believing heart leading you to fall away, He's going to do it through brothers who are exhorting one another every day, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Do you see the means coupled there with the confidence? If I could summarize perseverance of the saints, that's that's my understanding of it. The means is coupled with the confidence. You have confidence in Christ that he provides a sure salvation forever, and yet God has ordained the means as well as the end. I'm just going to pause there before I start rambling on, and I would love questions or concerns or thoughts or just any, anything that um, maybe pricks your curiosity or makes you think uh, maybe things are different. Maybe I'm not saying things correctly. Yeah. Mm. So it's almost like what's being said here is this was true the whole time, right? When you make it to the destination, when you make it to the journey, but the beginning and to the end, it, it may not seem like that's the case during it. Right. When you turn around, right, the vista is going to be, oh, this was true the whole time. Amen. Yeah. So 
Amen. No, that's, that's a really helpful way, a very practical way to think about it, right? Because all of us will go through seasons of doubt, right? Do I, do I really deserve to be a Christian? No. Do I, <laughs> do I think all my hope and trust is in Jesus and I'm sold out 100% for him and the world has no claim on my life? <laughs> well, I wish, but no. And sometimes those things culminate into a cycle of just thinking, maybe this isn't genuine. Maybe it's all in my head. Maybe Christ is not real. Maybe I am not of the faithful. But if you realize, like what Brother Matt is saying, the promise here is that based on Christ, he's going to keep his people. And in the end, you're going to say, it was Christ all the way. I have come to share in Christ if I hold the confidence firm to the end. And even in the times of doubt, when I am not rejecting Christ, though I have what I think is reason to, when I am holding fast to him, we realize actually he is holding fast to me. And that's, I think that's really helpful, brother. Other, other thoughts or encouragements? Okay, well, so I'm going to go back to Hebrews chapter 10 then. We have about 15 minutes left. And I, I think largely um, the, the doctrine is laid down there. Now, it's always, it's always dangerous to say this is a universal doctrine and we haven't covered the full scope of Scripture. There's many other passages to consider and wrestle with. Um, and so for this morning, I'm merely arguing that this is the case. But, of course, you'll have to look to the Word and, and wrestle with various texts and ask yourself, is this the case? Um, and I trust you'll find that it is, but um, if there's ever questions like that, let's, we can come together and talk about those things. But in Hebrews chapter 10 then, let's, let's encourage one another in the same way. So while we're talking about the means that God has ordained to persevere his saints through to the end, let's pay attention to those things particularly then as we read back through this beginning section, starting in verse 19 of chapter 10. Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through the flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. First I want to think about is, what is the basis for confidence? What is the basis for drawing near? Yes, yes. The blood is not just ambiguous, but the blood is for you, right? You have a great high priest. The blood has been shed, the blood of the new covenant. Okay, so with that framework in view, that's always, that's always the scope. When we're dealing with um, questions of eternal security or questions of our own faith or sincerity, what needs to be front and center always in view is not how am I doing in the Christian life, What's front and center is the basis. How am I going to go forward? Well, based on this text, we're going to go forward based on or since because we have confidence to enter by the blood of Jesus and because he is our great high priest. Since we have this great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, full assurance of faith, and with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with pure water. 
Now, there may be an allusion to baptism there with washed with pure water, but the focus for today is just when he says, let us draw near with a true heart, full assurance, and our sprinkled and our, our bodies washed with water. What's, what's the analogy there? What, or what is he pressing? And I think maybe this is what you're already hitting on, Brother Matt. I think it's, it's to take the blood of Jesus that you know is a sure thing sacrificed for his people and to draw near having that blood applied to you. That is, you may go before God with a clean conscience. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. It does not matter what sin you just committed. It does not matter how low you're feeling about your own sin. Christ would have you. Christ would have you as his. And you may draw near, not, not timidly and shyly and coming with many pleas, though certainly we plea for forgiveness, but the confidence that we have is in Christ. We draw near with a full assurance of faith, our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. We talked about the difference between a, a um, seared conscience and a clean conscience or a cleansed conscience. A seared conscience would say, I waltz before the throne room of God because I am perfect or I have no vision of my own sin. I, there's nothing in me that would keep me from God. But a cleansed conscience says, in spite of all the sin that remains and that I commit daily, God gives me full assurance to come to him. You see the difference? We, don't, we recognize that sin is sin, and yet we cast it all on him, and so our conscience is therefore cleaned and washed and renewed, and we go to him, not seared, so that we have no discerning of what right and wrong is anymore. And then he says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, again, for he who promised is faithful. And I just love that. It's not, let us draw near, make sure we're reading this in the right text, tense, right? Let us draw, um, sorry, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, and it's not for he who believes doesn't waver, or he who believes is faithful, he who promised is faithful. Whose promise is it? It is Christ's promise. He promised, says, come to me all you who weary and are heavy laden and I will give you rest, right? Or he says, the Father has given them to me and no one plucks them out of my hand. No one. And if that's a sure thing, then we're not looking on what I have committed to do but what he has promised to do. My pledge is with you. My covenant is with you. My blood atones for you. Then he says, in verse 24, here comes the means. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. And this, this is a very full statement. I, I'll ask for feedback on this rather than just monologuing on, on this. Help us. Who, who would like to, to tackle verse 24 and 25? What I'd like to see is if someone can help us connect what we're doing, considering how to stir up one another, consider where we stir up one another, and consider how that relates to the day drawing near. Maybe I'll ask a specific question. What day is drawing near? Let's just start with that. 
Resurrection, final judgment, yeah, the day, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is drawing near. Now, as you see the day drawing near, how do we see the day of the Lord drawing near? This is, a, this is an interesting question. I'm probably only going to be able to give you a half answer. The kingdom? Partially, and I, I'm, I'm just going to admit and say I'm a little squishy on that. I'm, I am. I don't, because there are, there are different views of viewing end times, and is the church, is the church declining until the end comes? Is the church growing until the end comes? What sort of headlines are you supposed to see? All these different things, right? And I'm, I'm just going to say I've, I've, I've left a tradition that I think is not helpful where it views the Bible constantly through headlines, right? Every single headline is about end times getting closer and closer. As you see it, well, that's also true, too. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's... Yeah. And I, before I trample on all of it, God does, I mean, Jesus does say there will be war, wars and rumors of wars as we draw close, right? But those, as those things have continued since Christ has come, I, I think what I would emphasize here is that as you learn to see wars and rumors of wars, the shortness and brevity of life, the the surety and promise of God, and as you learn to have that perspective on life, the end becomes closer and closer, right? Has it not been true? Tell me if I'm wrong, but has it not been true in your own Christian life? In those times when you have been particularly encouraged by the saints, and when you have truly seen um, perhaps a Sunday or a, a gathering of saints at the time, you've seen the beauty of Christ and of God to come in the kingdom, the heavenly reality seems so imminent, doesn't it? And it's those times when you're far from Christ, when you haven't cared to spend um, time in his word or you've been indifferent to the assembly of the saints and his, his means of grace. When, when you're far from Christ, heaven likewise seems quite far away and the days drag on and Jesus is further and further. And so I, at, at least at a minimum, I, there may be more here to say, but I think at a minimum, when he focuses on, as you see the day drawing near, I believe the emphasis on it here is, one, you should be looking for the day drawing near. And with that earnest expectation, this is going to perpetuate the encouraging, the gathering of the saints and the perseverance of the faith, right? So now to, to zoom out for a little bit, let me ask you another question. Okay, if that's the day drawing near, the return of... Jesus, the, the day of the Lord, what does that have to do with the assembly of the saints? And the Lord's day. Yeah, I, I see a thought brewing. <laughs> so it's the Sabbath, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you partake in a, a weekly seven day Sabbath side that really is looking forward to a eternal Sabbath. Yes. Absolutely. That's that's exactly what I was driving for. Is that when in Hebrews four, when he when the writer concludes, if I can find it quickly. 
six, after concluding, just to, just to cut to the section there. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it. Um, hold on, sorry. Wrong spot. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Now, those two verses are a kind of infamously a complex and dense statement. But the interesting thing is that that word Sabbath rest, um, if I understand it correctly, is the word for um, ritual Sabbath, not merely a Sabbath day in the end. But he's stacking those two things on top of each other. Because he's, he's saying, look, if Joshua bringing them to the promised land had brought them to the eternal rest, then there wouldn't remain. But since there remains a rest for the people of God, he's saying there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, meaning there remains a place for the people of God to stop and remember that we are sojourners headed for an eternal resurrection, a Sabbath rest. So I know that was really short, and that wasn't meant to be the focus of our time today, but in Hebrews chapter 10, when he's picking that theme up again, don't neglect the the, uh, gathering of the saints together. What, he, what he's pointing to, as you see the day drawing near, sorry, left, left that phrase off. Well, I think what he's pointing to is, particularly when you're gathering together with the Lord's people and you're persevering one another in the faith, one of the things that you're doing is not only are you marking one in seven to remember that God has prepared a rest for his people, you're pointing people's eyes to that rest. And in so doing, you're helping one another persevere. You are being the means by which God will keep his people to the end. And so we, we see those things. Um, but let's not miss the imperative that was there. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Um, and this is, this is a lingering question, I think, always. It, it burns in me sometimes because I, and it's, I don't think it's meant to make, uh, make us feel guilty, but it is meant to urge us on to do these things, right? It is meant to say, Stop, consider, spend time thinking about what would you do to stir up one another to love and good works. And the purpose is not merely so that they would be better people, but there is an there is a eternal lasting effect of that. You realize when you consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, God has sovereignly ordained that you be a part, a means by which he is saving his people to the end. It means you, get, you are participating in God's plan and God's sovereign ordination. You are participating in the perseverance of God's people, an eternal thing. It's, a, it's an amazing thing to think about um, as we meet together even this day. And so... Every day, but particularly, with particular focus as we gather on the Lord's Day, what are we doing? We are helping one another persevere in the faith, helping one another set our affections and eyes on Jesus, not upon a decision that we've made, not upon a past, but leaving what is behind, coming confidently to Jesus for forgiveness of sins, we help one another persevere in the faith. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for not only 
telling us that some will be saved, Lord, but giving us the means by which you are bringing your people into an eternal rest. Help us then, with our eyes set on that, our confidence on you, that you will bring us to our eternal rest. Help us to look forward to that day, to see the day of the Lord coming, and in so doing, motivate one another that we might all the more joyously and uh, with great expectation come together on this, this little day of rest that we might encourage us, little saints, small in faith, to persevere, Lord. And in so doing, we know that you take it upon yourself to keep us from sin and from principalities and powers, from height and depth and every other thing that might want to separate us from the love of God. We thank you in your name. Amen.